Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights. My name is Manish Charadi, Senior Investment Strategist. We've just released the weekly market view titled Stagflation or Reflation. And on today's episode of the podcast, we'll discuss, as the title suggests, the latest developments in macro data and evolving narrative with regards to stagflation. Joining me today for this conversation, I'm glad to welcome Mankreet Rill, head of FICC Strategy. Without further ado, let's get started. Mankreet, increasingly hawkish central banks, global energy shortages, prolonged supply bottlenecks and China's continued policy-driven slowdown have all played a part in building the narrative that the world may be shifting from a reflation to a stagflation regime. How do you see it unfolding? Hi, Manish. Uh, Thanks for the question. I think that's uh, quite a list of concerns uh, you have there. So no wonder that uh, there are some worries about stagflation. But I'd argue that actually the list of factors arguing in favor of reflation, if anything, uh, is a longer list uh, and makes a more compelling case. So just to present the other side of the case, I mean, if you look at a few indicators, I mean, first on our list is you know what we're seeing in, in real or inflation adjusted bond yields. Those, if anything, have been rising in the past couple of months. Uh, you know, the bond yield curve uh, has been getting a little bit steeper. Um, and, you know, we've seen few signs of stress in, in high yield, you know, credit spreads. Uh, so all of those indicators, in our view, that's one group of indicators that still argues in favor of reflation. The other set, of course, is looking at uh, the PMI global business confidence indicators. Uh, you know, in absolute terms, we've seen these stabilized at pretty robust levels in September. Um, and when you look at the components, the new order to inventory ratio in particular uh, does show that the pipeline of new orders remains pretty robust. So that's the second you know, indicator that we think argues quite strongly in favor of reflation. There are a few others as well. I mean, the U.S. job market, it continues to improve. We are arguably seeing a peaking of global COVID cases and hospitalizations. Uh, so a number of positives there. Um, so overall, acknowledge the risk, but I think the, the, the data really does argue in favor of reflation, uh, at least the way we see it. Not without risk, of course. I think there are a couple of you know, pitfalls we need to avoid for the story to play through. Uh, you know, top of that list, of course, is uh, avoiding some of the risks from uh, energy shortages we've seen uh, both in Europe and, and China. Uh, in China, you know, successfully ring fencing some of the challenges uh, or the fallout from Evergrande, of course, uh, would be important as well. Um, and in US and Europe, I think an ability to get some of the fiscal stimulus through, uh, particularly in the US where there's no ongoing discussion, uh, that of course would brighten the picture considerably. But on balance, you know, yes, there are a few risks, but on balance, we think, you know, the data does argue for a, a strong reflationary environment. So presumably, we are still bullish on equities as an asset class, right? We are. Uh, you're absolutely right. So from a, from a broad level, we think that environment does favor equities globally and regionally we have preference for the US and euro area equities. Um, and of course, not just your equities themselves, you know, other risky assets, uh, we think we should also continue to perform well in this reflationary environment. So in the bond space, looking at high yield bonds, uh, US, Europe, of course, but including, of course, in Asia dollar bonds and emerging market dollar bonds. Now, on that front, when you talk about equities in particular, uh, there's obviously been a little bit of concern with the pullback recently, we actually take a half glass, half full view of, of the pullback. Um, you know, we finally got a 5% pullback after worrying about why we haven't got it uh, 
for, for an extended period of time. But if you take the technical lens on U.S. equities, just as an example, uh, some of the indicators like the MACD are arguing we're getting closer to the, you know, to the end of that pullback rather than the beginning. Uh, and we're getting some strong technical support coming through indicators like the 200-day moving average. So all this stuff to t- time the precise bottom, but, you know, the, the picture does seem to be brightening, if anything, particularly going into Q4, which tends, seasonally tends to be a stronger period. Uh, and of course, we have a potential catalyst from the Q3 earnings season in the US. Now, you, you mentioned about energy shortages. Do higher oil price support a bullish equities view? They do. Uh, And I think here the sector view is is quite important. Um, I I think one of the correlations we find most interesting is that usually there's uh, a close sort of connection between higher energy prices uh, and stronger energy sector equities. Uh, And what's interesting is that, you know, in the recent past, that that relationship seems to have temporarily moved apart. So across the US, Europe and China, the energy sector equities have actually lagged the recovery in oil prices by a considerable margin. So the way we see it, that presents a good catch-up opportunity, uh, and that's one of the biggest reasons why we see the energy sector across those three major regions as a preferred sector. So that's one part of it. Um, of course, you know the energy sector has a number of other positives as well. You know, from a from a cost rationalization perspective, I think most and en- most energy companies. Um, have sort of become much more disciplined, particularly in terms of CAPEX. So they're in a stronger financial position. We're also seeing sector valuations look considerably, you know, attractive relative to to the broader market in each region. Um, And of course, you know, they're they're sort of viewed as a value sector. So a broader theme of rotation to value style equities, uh, the energy sector should benefit from that. So, of course, we can debate, you know, in the short term, whether we could get a short lived spike in energy prices uh, or whether, you know, that that sort of move is now done. Uh, But the bigger picture for us is that, you know, it's opened up a gap with energy sector equity. So that's really where we see the opportunity. Moving to Asia, um, there have been lingering concerns regarding the Chinese real estate sector. How does that support our constructive view on Asia high-yield bonds? Well, on Asian high-yield bonds, we have spoken for for many weeks now about how we see value uh, in what are now some from very very wide credit spreads. Now, it's understandable that you know the nature of some of the stresses right now, you know, doesn't lend itself to a quick resolution. So, you know, we have seen spreads actually stay stay wide, and and those will always be difficult to time. But I think from a from a fundamental perspective, I think there are sort of a couple of reasons which cause us greater comfort, right? I think first, of course, is that, uh, you know, the value itself. I mean, the current credit spreads, uh, you know, when you look at it versus history or the number of share of the index trading below, you know, price of 50, both of those argue that, you know, markets are pricing in, you know, low double digit default rate. Uh, so unless we have reason to believe defaults will significantly exceed that, current valuation levels do offer uh, quite a bit of value. I think second is that when you look at the real estate sector in particular, which is where a lot of the stress is concentrated at the moment, it's always useful to remember that while the headlines are focused, of course, on some firms where which obviously are facing more stresses, in aggregate, most firms have actually improved balance sheet strength based on the three red lines policy. Uh, and finally, of course, you know, in terms of what is about liquidity, we haven't really seen signs of stress in the overnight Shibor market, uh, similar to what we saw in 2013. So I think when you pull all of those together, look, it's it's difficult to time, you know, exactly at what point the stresses may tilt over and investors may realize the value. But, you know, what these, what these sort of indicators really tell us is that uh, they paint a pretty positive picture in terms of offering value. Uh, unlike equities, bonds, of course, pay you an attractive yield to weight. Um, and, you know, we think that, you know, current valuation levels do, do make a strong case uh, for offering value. Thanks again, Manpreet, for joining our conversation today. 
That is all for this episode of Standard Chartered Money Insights. If you would like to learn more or read our publications, please visit our website at sc.com under Market Insights. As a reminder, if you enjoyed our discussion, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights. 